Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. Let us stand for prayer. O gracious God, we bow our hearts before thee, and we pray, O Lord, that thou wouldst draw near in that gracious way. Remember us in thy mercy, and bless us here this evening hour. May we be aware of thee, and may we be blessed and helped by thee. Forgive us our latest sins, O Lord, even of this day. Cleanse us afresh. May we know that peace of fatherly forgiveness. O Lord, we come to thee. Have all the glory, Lord. We thank thee for our beloved Saviour, whom we have read of already. And we pray that his glory would be known here tonight and further afield and around this <coughs> world. Help us to worship thee in spirit and in truth. May our hearts be full of praise. May our affection flow towards thee. May we lift up our hearts of faith. Oh, may we focus on thee as we worship thee. We do thank thee for bringing thy servant down from Glasgow and be with him. May he know great encouragement here in the midst. Bless him as he ministers the word. Oh, may thy word go forth and may the Holy Spirit apply it to our hearts. We come to thee. Look down from heaven. Remember us now. For Christ's sake. Amen. 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 We turn to our first praise, Psalm 147. Psalm 147, we're going to sing verses 1 to 5, and the tune is Hamilton, Psalm 147, verses 1 through to verse 4, praise ye the Lord, for it is good, praise to our God to sing, for it is pleasant and to praise, it is a comely thing. And when we come to the third verse, in light of Luke 4, verse 18, and then Isaiah 61, we're reminded here of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are broken in their heart and grieved in their minds, he healeth from their painful wounds, he tenderly abounds. Psalm 147, the tune is Hamilton, and we're going to sing verses 1 through to verse 5. <coughs>
to preaching rally. The first preaching rally was a number of years ago, and the Reverend William McLeod came down for our first meeting. The weather was worse than this, and there were floods in the village. Well, we're very grateful that you've made the effort to come tonight, despite the weather. Do be assured of our love and prayers for you all. After this meeting, there will be opportunity for further fellowship if you're able to stay. And I do remind you that the clocks go back. They don't go forward, the clocks go back, so you have an extra hour tonight. But if you're able to stay, we would love to see you and have further fellowship. I am grateful for the ladies that have provided the refreshments. Well, it is a pleasure to welcome the Reverend William McLeod. It's always a joy to have him come down here and his wife Marion. It's good to see her as well. Do take our greetings back to the congregations in Glasgow and then to the Free Church of Scotland continuing as a whole. Mr McLeod in a moment is going to read the Word of God and lead us in prayer. But before he does so, I have a request from a certain minister from Devon. He's on holiday and he contacted my wife yesterday and asked particularly if the pastor could send his greetings and that's the Reverend Malcolm Watts wished to have his greetings sent to the church here to Mr William McLeod and you all in the congregation. He would have loved to be here but the train doesn't come back till Monday evening but he wishes to be remembered at this meeting. I'm going to now ask Mr. McLeod to read to us the word of God and lead us in prayer. It's a great pleasure to be with you again. And uh, just earlier on, the pastor was remembering the first time he had met me, um, 2001. I was uh, speaking in Salisbury, the church there, and uh, Malcolm Watts introduced uh, Pastor uh, Aaron Lewis to me. Uh, he was just, I think, about to be ordained at that stage. A month after. A month after that. So um, our relationship has grown over the years. It's been a great pleasure to be here a number of times and to meet uh, familiar faces that I see around the congregation. So it's great to be with you and I bring you the greetings of the Free Church continuing in, in Glasgow and in Scotland. We feel we, we have uh, true brothers and sisters down here in, um, in the church here and also up in, in Salisbury where, where we sing together the, the great psalm book that the Lord, the great hymn book that the Lord has given us, the, the book of Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. It's wonderful. To have such a sample. Tonight we read God's word in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Romans 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. The people referred to here are, of course, the Jews. As God's cast away his people, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. 
God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Walk ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it be by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, grace is no more, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David said, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, Salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the firstfruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not thyself against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. 
and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. <clears throat> For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. <clears throat> as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For if God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all, O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! <clears throat> How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out! <clears throat> For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsellor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory for ever. Amen. Amen. Let us now join in prayer. <clears throat> o Lord our God, we rejoice in thy sovereignty, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. Thou art the Almighty. Thou art the all-wise. Thou art God, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And thou art working out all things according to the counsel of thine own will. <clears throat> thou hast foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And we come here, O Lord, tonight in order to worship thee, to give thanks to God, to humble ourselves before thee, to confess our sins, and to lay hold again of Jesus Christ our Saviour, for he is our only hope. <clears throat> we confess, O Lord, that we have broken thy commandments in thought, word, and deed. Thou knowest, O Lord, our hypocrisy. Thou knowest our pride, our deceitfulness, our worldliness, our lukewarmness, our spiritual laziness. Thou knowest how we are taken up with the things of this world, the cares and the pleasures, the riches of this world. 
O Lord, forgive us for being so taken up with these things, and help us more and more to set our affections on those things above. Forgive us, Lord, for our idols. Forgive us, Lord, for taking thy name so lightly upon our lips. Forgive us for all our sins and help us to come to that fountain that was opened for sin and for uncleanness. We thank thee that it is written in thy word that we confess our sins. Thou art faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank thee, O Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We praise thee for the gospel. We praise thee for Jesus, our great sacrifice. We behold in faith the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We rejoice that he gave himself a ransom for many. And we look to him tonight as our only hope for time and for eternity. We praise thee for the spreading of the gospel throughout the world. We praise thee for the great commission that was given by our Lord to the early disciples. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We rejoice in this commission. And we praise you that the gospel was preached in Jerusalem, <coughs> in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we bless thee that the day came when the gospel was preached in these distant islands, in the British Isles, and that we have heard the glad tidings. And we praise thee, O Lord, that thy spirit accompany the word with power. And we rejoice in the building up of thy church in Britain. We praise thee, Lord, that there was a wonderful reformation and revival in the 16th century. We rejoice, Lord, in the Puritans and the revival that took place then and the Covenanters. We praise thee for the revivals of the uh, 18th century, <coughs> of the 19th century. We grieve, O oh Lord God, that over these last 150 years there has been such a decline, such a turning away, a coldness, a hardness, a deadness. We cry to thee, O Lord, that thou wouldst return to these islands, and that thou wouldst bless the gospel again, that thou wouldst send forth laborers into the harvest fields, revive thy cause in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, and wrath remember mercy. We cry to thee, O Lord, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire that causeth the waters to boil. What need we have of that fire to come from heaven to warm our cold hearts? Lord, we cry unto thee that thou wouldst come again in mighty power on our land, and that we might see up and down this country of ours, that we would see the Spirit moving, and men and women convicted of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to, turn, uh, judgment to come, turning unto God and crying for mercy. 
We long, Lord, for a day of salvation, a blessed day throughout our land, that there would be a turning again to the Holy Scriptures, reformation taking place in every church, returning to the Word of God, and power accompanying the Word so that men and women are convicted and converted. Bless our nation, O Lord. Bless our decadent Western world. Turn us from our ungodliness, we cry. Grant, O Lord, that thou wouldst hasten the day when the <coughs> Jews will be converted to Christ. We pray for that day of blessing that thou hast promised, that they would be converted and that there would be life from the dead for the Gentile world. How we long for blessing throughout the world. We pray, O Lord, for the Middle East at this time where there is so much unrest and violence. We think, O Lord, of the Jews and their blindness and darkness and pray that thou wouldst turn them from their vain traditions to behold Christ the Messiah. Take the scales from off their eyes, we pray. We think, O Lord, of the Arabs, the Muslims, the Palestinians, we pray for them, Lord that thou wouldst turn them from following the teaching of the Quran and the false prophet Muhammad, that thou wouldst turn them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that there's only one answer for the Middle East problem, and that answer is that Jews and Arabs would come to recognize Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We pray, O Lord, for the growth of thy church in that part of the world, and we pray for the growth of thy church right across the world. We pray for peace in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. And we pray that these wars that are taking place would be used by thee in order to bring people to Christ. Yeah. Lord, when all is going well with us, when we have our health and our strength and our prosperity, as so many have in this country, how ready we are to forget God and our eternal our eternal welfare, the judgment day that is coming. Oh, Lord, help us right across the world in these days to consider, to consider our latter end, to remember that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment, that each one of us would seek the Lord while he is to be found and call upon him while he is near. For thou art saying, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, for he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Bless, we pray thee, the pastor of the congregation here. Encourage him, Lord. Be with him in these days. Grant, O Lord, that thou would strengthen him, and guide him, and direct him, and help him as he ministers thy word from Sabbath to Sabbath. Bless his wife and his family. We pray for the office bearers and the congregation. We pray for each member and adherent. We pray for blessing upon them. We <clears throat> think of those who are present from uh, surrounding churches. And we pray for blessing to be upon them and their churches. O oh Lord, look down upon us in a day of mercy. Turn us to thyself, we pray thee. Help us to wait upon thee with expectation. Grant, O Lord, that thou wouldst do great things for us. Deal with us not as we deserve. Mark not our sins against us, but sprinkle upon us the blood of Christ and receive us in him, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.
preaching of God's word in Peter 10 with me to Psalm 130. We're going to sing the whole of the song to the tune Humility. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear, and to my supplications voice give an attentive ear. And these words have been such a help to many of the Lord's people through times of difficulty. And we notice how they the Lord's people are lifted and they're called to wait upon the Lord. And we know that in verse 5, in the second half of the psalm, and Spurgeon, commenting on this psalm, says the Lord's people have always been a waiting people. They waited for the incarnation of Christ and they wait for the second advent as well. Waiting on the Lord. Psalm 130, the whole of the psalm, and after this psalm, Mr. MacLeod will bring to us God's word. Psalm 130, the tune is humility, Lord from the depths to thee I cried. <coughs>
shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, Paul's Epistle to the Romans, and chapter 11, and our text for tonight is verse 1, <coughs> Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Now the Jews have been very much in the news recently. We've all heard about the Hamas massacre on the 7th of October, that dreadful massacre of men, women, and even little babies. And now we are seeing the Jews involved in revenge strikes and uh, many people in Gaza are being killed. The Jews want peace. And some people think, well, it's so easy. It's so easy, really. All you need is a two-state solution and you have the Palestinians in one state and the Jews in another, and they all get on happily together. But it's not like that. The problem is that Hamas and Hezbollah, and indeed many Palestinians, want every Jew to be dead. From the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. And they wanted to be free of every Jew. They want every Jew exterminated. And it's not just a kind of natural hatred. It's a religious hatred. The land used to be a Muslim-dominated land, the land of Israel. And uh, Muslims claim lands forever for Muhammad and Islam. And so they're involved in a jihad. And that's what makes them so defiant, because if they are killed in fighting Jews, if they're killed in trying to kill Jews, then uh, they go straight to heaven. That's the way to heaven. Die fighting the Jews and killing Jews. So how can you have peace in that sort of situation? Really, the only answer, as I said in my prayer, the only answer is for both Jews and Arabs to come to put their faith in Christ. Mm. The Jews need to turn from their vain traditions and also from their atheism. Many Jews are atheists. The Jews need to turn from their atheism and their empty traditions to the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, of course, the Muslims, the Palestinians, they need to turn from their religion with all its cruelty and brutality. They need to turn from that to the Prince of Peace and to the way of salvation and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. But what is the Christian attitude towards the Jews. Some Christians love the Jews and regard the Jews as 
God's chosen people. Other Christians feel that the Jews have no special place in God's church or in God's plan. Indeed, this would be the common reformed position nowadays, what is called replacement theology. <clears throat> the idea that wherever uh, promises are made to the Jews or to Israel in the Bible, now these promises belong to the church. So the church is the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, and replaces the Jews and Israel. Now there's something, of course, of truth in that. To a large extent, that is the case. Yes, the church is the new Israel. And John sees the new Jerusalem descending from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And the new Jerusalem there is, of course, the church of the redeemed in heaven, composed both of Jews and of Gentiles. Professor John Murray, who many would regard as the leading reformed theologian of the 20th century, the mid-20th century, he uh, authored a classic commentary on this book, The Letter to the Romans. And as he approached Romans 11, his viewpoint was that which is common in Reformed circles today, that the Jews are nothing special. They have, they have lost all their special position. They are not particularly um, privileged anymore and that uh, there's no promises with regard to the future of the Jews. But then, as he wrote his commentary on Romans chapter 11, he became convinced that the common reformed position of the 20th century was inadequate, and that it was better indeed to go back to what was more common of the Puritans, and uh, of uh, theologians like the Hodges and uh, Jonathan Edwards and uh, the Alexanders and uh, others of a, an earlier date and the Scottish theologians as well. So Professor Murray became convinced that there is indeed in Romans 11 a promise that the Jews will one day be converted. True, they rejected the Messiah, and because they rejected the Messiah, the Jews were cast off. You remember how Pilate was determined to set them free, to set Christ free, and he was saying, what evil has he done? And uh, the, the Jews were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. You remember how he he washed his hands, took a basin and washed his hands in the presence of the Jews. And the Jews said, his blood be upon <coughs> us and upon our children. And that indeed was the case. The blood of Christ in a particular sense came down upon the Jews. And the Jews were particularly 
rejected and cast off and punished by God. And we have seen that in the 2,000 years of their history, all that they have suffered down through the centuries. But Reformed theologians today would draw our attention to Galatians 3.28, and they would say, there, you have it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Ye are all one in Christ. Surely that proves that now in Jesus Christ there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, Jew and the Gentile. Well, there is a sense in which that's true. But is there no difference between male and female? Should the man not lead in the marriage? Should wives not be submissive to their husbands? And what about the church? There's neither male nor female, so we should have female ministers, should we? I suffer not a, a woman to teach or to usurp authority over a man. <clears throat> the Bible makes it quite plain, plain that men are to be pastors and elders, office bearers and leaders in the church. So what is Galatians 3.28 saying? There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither male nor female, there is neither bond nor free. It's telling us that essentially, in the sight of God, when we're converted, we're all on the same level. Yes, we are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And a man mustn't look down on a woman. And a Jew mustn't look down upon a Greek because we are all saved by the blood of Jesus and we are all equally members of the church of God and we are all equally entitled to the inheritance that's before us in heaven. But yet there are distinctions. <clears throat> there are distinctions between men and women and there are distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. Now, coming back to our text, we have here a fascinating question. Has God cast away his people? Hath God cast away his people? It would seem, the way some people argue, and the way they dismiss this chapter, that God has cast away his people. But let's look at how Paul answers the question. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid! Away with such a thought! Meganoito! Let it not be! It can't be true! God has not cast away his people. And then he gives us four reasons in this chapter why God has not cast away his people. First of all, he says, God not, has not cast away his people because there is still a remnant amongst the Jews who are converted. But he says, verse 1, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm an Israelite. I'm converted. God hath not cast away his people whom he foreknew and foreloved and elected. And then he brings in the case of Elijah. What ye not what the scriptures say of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed our prophets, dig down thine altars, and I'm the only one left. Elijah thought, 
persecuted by Jezebel, that he was the only man of God left in Israel. He was so depressed. He couldn't see any other men of God around. But what did the Lord say to him? What's God's answer? Verse 4, I have reserved unto myself 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000. Elijah thought he was the only good person left. There were actually 7,000. Not 700, but 7,000. That's a, a huge number. And so, similarly, have God cast away his people? Well, no. Paul was a Jew, a Benjamite. And not only that, but on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 Jews were converted. And they were Jews. Jews from all over the world, but they were Jews who had come to celebrate the Passover in uh, Jerusalem, Jews and proselytes. And shortly after that, we read of 5,000 men in the church at Jerusalem. 5,000 converted men. And that's not counting women and children. So there was obviously many thousands of Jews converted in these early days. Now that was only a tiny minority in comparison to the rest of the Jews. The rest of the Jews, the vast majority of Jews, had rejected Christ as the Messiah and they were going on in their vain traditions. But God has a remnant according to the election of grace among the Jews, just as among the Gentiles. And down through the centuries, there have always been Jews converted to Christ. Circumcision will save no one. Jewish rituals will save no one. The only way to be saved in the Old Testament as well as in the New was faith in Jesus. People in the Old Testament, how were they converted? By looking to Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man ever came to the Father, and no man ever will come to the Father but by Christ. In the Old Testament, just as well as in the New, there's only one way, only one Savior, only one person who was made sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's one way, and that way is Christ. Abraham looked forward to Christ. He rejoiced to see my day. He was glad. Moses looked forward to Christ. All the Old Testament believers, David, the Psalms are full of Christ, looking forward to Christ. The only way for Abel to be saved was by offering a sacrifice of a firstborn of the flock that was a type of Christ. He was looking forward to God's Lamb who was going to die. The only way to be saved then in the Old Testament and in the New is through the blood of Jesus. And to Nicodemus, Jesus said, before he had died, before the day of Pentecost, you must be born again. And no <coughs> Old Testament individual got to heaven but those who were born again. But yes, down through the centuries, since the day of Pentecost, there have been a few here, a few there, Jews converted. Today there seems to be more 
considerably more. I remember hearing Baruch Maus, who worked with CWI, uh, talking about uh, how at his wedding in Israel, he invited all the Jews who were in Israel to his wedding. I think there was about 30 or 40 of them at the time. Today, if he were to invite all the Christian Jews to his wedding, there would be some 30 or 40,000. God has been working amongst the Jews and we thank God for that. But yet, what's 30,000 amongst the 8 million Jews in Israel or the 16 million Jews throughout the world? 30,000? <coughs> Just a tiny minority, a remnant according to the election of grace. So that's the first answer then that Paul gives. Has God cast away his people? No, never. Firstly, there's the remnant that are saved, and they've been saved and continue to be saved down through the centuries to the present day. The second argument is that God had a purpose in casting off the Jews. Verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Have the Jews stumbled that they should fall away forever? The implication is not so. God forbid, he says, God forbid, away with such a thought. But rather, through their fall is come unto the Gentiles salvation for to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Through their fall, God turned to the Gentiles. And this is something we are to rejoice in. God in Old Testament times from the days of Abraham focused almost all his attention upon the children of Abraham, the children of Israel. Salvation, as Christ said to the woman of Salmania, salvation is of the Jews. It was Jews who were saved, a remnant amongst them, not all the Jews, but a remnant amongst the Jews were saved. Outside of the Jews, well, there was an odd person like Naaman the Syrian, or Ruth the Moabites, Rahab the Harlot, the odd person, but very, very few. Salvation was confined to the Jews. But then, because the Jews rejected Christ, we're told God turned to the Gentiles. That was God's plan, of course, from all eternity, that the Gentiles would be brought in, and there's reference to it in the prophets. God had planned this. Salvation comes to the Gentiles, and God's saving the Gentiles with a purpose, to provoke the Jews to jealousy. When they see the Gentiles coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, knowing God, experiencing God, having a living relationship with God, even to this present day, Jews will often look at Christians from time to time they will look at Christians and they see these Christians with peace and joy and assurance in their heart and they know they've got no assurance. They've got no relationship with God. God's so far away from them. And they've got these empty traditions and they're provoked to jealousy. They feel jealous of the Gentiles and that's God's way to bring them in. So 
Verse 12, to the falling away of them, the Jews, be the riches of the world, the Gentile world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. We'll come back to that. For I speak unto you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, to jealousy, them that are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the, the world, you see, the Jews were cast away so that the Gentiles might be brought in. And then moving down to verse 17, and if the branches if some of the branches, the branches of the olive tree, the Jewish olive tree, the olive tree um, symbolizing the church of Christ, if some of the branches of the olive tree of the church were broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. You see, what happened? The olive tree symbolizing the church of God, some branches, some natural branches, Jewish branches, cut off, and wild olive branches, Greeks and Romans and British, grafted in to the olive tree so that we are partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree. We are partakers of this Jewish church. <clears throat> but there's a warning here too. A warning to us. Boast not thyself against the true branches. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he spare not thee. Don't be looking down on the Jews. Don't be thinking you're better than the Jews. Don't despise the Jews. God cut them off to put you in, but God can cut you and me off too. He can cut out the, the wild olive branches. If God spare not the, the natural branches, take heed lest he spare not thee, Gentile branch. Behold there for the goodness and severity of God toward thee, toward us, goodness, gospel reaching to us and salvation reaching to us. But then the gen to, to the, 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 the Jews, the severity of God, the judgment which fell upon them. God's severity towards them, but God's purpose of mercy towards us. So, there we have our second argument then given to us by Paul. God, hath God cast away his people? No, but there was a purpose in cutting out some Jewish branches in order to bring in the Gentile branches so that the Jewish branches would be jealous and want to be part and want to be brought in again. It was with the purpose of eventually bringing in the Jews again. Well, that leads us then to Paul's third argument. 
the promised day that's ahead for the Jews. Promised day. Look at verse 11. We made reference to that already. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Have the Jews stumbled so that they will fall? Fall away forever? God forbid. Away with that thought. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Are they lost forever? The implication is, no, they are not. And then verse 12, for if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of the Jews, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? What's Paul talking about there? A fullness, a riches, a blessing coming through the fullness of the Jews? Those who reject all promises of God with regard to the future for the Jews. This verse is for them, surely. God sees into the future and Paul sees into the future with the hand of God upon him that the fullness of the Gentiles is going to come and there's going to be a fullness of the Jews too. And then, I speak unto you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, to jealousy, those who are mine own flesh, and might save some of them. Paul is a great burden for his fellow Jews. He loves his fellow Israelites. He knows they're zealous, they're religious, they're so passionate about their religion. They're in darkness. Scales are on their eyes. They need that veil to be taken away. They need to see that Christ is the Messiah. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them, of the Jews, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? But life from the dead. So he's talking about the receiving of the Jews. And when the Jews are received, it's going to be life from the dead. What's life from the dead? Revival, isn't it? When the Jews are received back, there's going to be international revival. A tremendous period of blessing. That's what the Apostle Paul's looking forward to. This is what's giving him so much comfort as he sees his fellow Jews largely perishing in their sins under the judgment of God, rejecting Christ. But he's looking forward and he's saying, if the casting away of the Jews be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? One day, receive. And it's going to be life from the dead. A wonderful prospect. A blessed Revival. Moving on to verse 25. I would not, for I would not have you, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Now what's a mystery in the New Testament? A mystery in the New Testament is a secret. 
which is now revealed. A secret in the past that now revealed. So what is that secret that is now revealed? This mystery that blindness in part is happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. Notice that important word until. Blindness over Israel for 2,000 years until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That until is looking towards a new day when things are going to change. And then we have that in verse 26. And so on that day, Israel, all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now at this point, many modern reformed commentators do something very strange. Up to this point, it's obvious that Israel are the Jews, ethnic Israel. But they say all Israel here means the church. And then for the rest of the chapter, Israel means the Jews. So why at this stage, at this point, on this one verse, why interpret Israel as referring to the whole church? Mm. Jews and Gentiles. It's not good exegesis. From Romans 11, uh, yes, indeed, from Romans 9 and 10 too, it's plain that the Apostle Paul is dealing particularly with the Jews. He says in Romans 9, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. What for? For his fellow Jews who have rejected Christ. Romans 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For the church that they might be saved. Is that what he's talking about? No. He's talking about his fellow Israelites. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They're trying to save themselves by their works, my fellow Jews. And I grieve over them and I long to see them saved and believing in the Messiah. And Romans 11, of course, all the way through it, the Jews and Israel and Jacob are the ethnic Israel. So in verse 25, blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles <coughs> come in. And so, at that point, all Israel shall be saved. There shall be a mighty turn, just as all Israel have rejected Christ apart from a tiny remnant, so we are to look for all, the great majority of Israel, to be converted. When the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, 
and from the seed of Jacob, because that's what Jacob means, the children of Jacob. There's a promised day ahead, a day of great blessing, a day when the Jews will be converted in great numbers. So that's the third argument, the promised day ahead. And then his fourth argument, have God cast away his people? His fourth argument is, remember the covenants, remember the promises, remember the fathers. Verse 27, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. God's covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, it was a covenant of grace. A covenant to them and to their children that God would take away their sin. What's a covenant of grace? All of grace. Saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. How are we saved? Because God had mercy on us. We are saved by grace alone and only by grace. We're not saved because we're Jews. We're not saved because we're Gentiles. We're not saved by circumcision. We're not saved by baptism. What are we saved by? By grace. By grace through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is my covenant unto them, my covenant with Abraham, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Moses, my covenant with Israel when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, so that you will be saved, rejected, but as touching the election. They are beloved for their father's sakes. God's election, God chose Abraham, God chose the seed of Abraham, God chose Israel, God's chosen people, they're beloved for their father's sake. Who's he talking about there? The church. All Israel meaning the church. <coughs> Doesn't make sense. He's obviously talking about the, the children, the natural children of Abraham. They are beloved for their father's sake, for the patriarch's sake. Mm -hmm. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Who received the gifts and calling of God? <coughs> the Jews. For a thousand years and more, God was bestowing upon the Jews his gifts. He gave them the gift of his word, his law, and his gospel, and his promises. He gave them Moses, and he gave them David, and he gave them the priests and the prophets. And eventually he gave them the Messiah. The gifts and calling of God. He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called Israel. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed in God, you Gentiles, you didn't believe in God, you worshipped idols, you were pagans, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may obtain mercy. The Jews receiving your mercy 
We are to have a person, a particular concern for the Jews, for Jewish evangelism, seeking to reach them with the gospel. Through your mercy, they may obtain mercy. God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out who hath known the mind of the Lord. Who could have guessed that that's what God were, was going to do? The Jews thought they were always going to be God's privileged people. And they, were, they thought that they would always be special and the Gentiles were dogs to be despised and rejected. But because the Jews rejected the prophets and eventually rejected the Messiah, judgment came upon them. But God has his plan of mercy. Who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed to him again? <coughs> For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. For the last 2,000 years, the Jews have been under the judgment of God. His blood be upon us and upon our children. And they have suffered terribly. We think of how the Romans destroyed the Jews in AD 70. All the Jews that died in the siege of Jerusalem died of hunger, died of disease, died being killed. And then when the city was taken, all the Jews that were crucified, there wasn't a tree to be found, there wasn't wood to be found for all who were crucified. And all the rest of them sold as slaves across the world. The price of a Jewish slave was pennies, tiny amount. There were so many of them scattered across the world, God's judgment upon them. And then there was the <coughs> Roman Catholic Inquisition, again persecuting them in an awful way. There were the Russian pogroms, again persecuting the Jews. Six million of them died in the Nazi concentration camps. And yet they're still there today. Why? <coughs> God has a purpose for them. Where are the Edomites, the Moabites, the Philistines? The Palestinians pretend they're the Philistines. What a lot of nonsense. They're Arabs, invading Arabs who came in Arab tribes from the desert. Palest the, the Philistines are gone, gone. But the Jews are still to be found across the world. 16 million of them. In 1948, they got their own country. Again, they were given their own country. And they tend to be so condemned in the media today. And yet, it's always been the Arabs who have attacked them first and began the wars first. What was the war of independence that the Arabs call the great disaster? A handful of Jews trying to maintain themselves in this new country they were given, attacked on every side by Egypt, Syria, Jordan, etc., seeking to destroy them. Six-day war, all the nations round about, 
gathered together against them. Again, it was the Arabs who began it. The Yom Kippur War, again, the Arabs beginning the war against the Jews, and yet the Lord has preserved them through it. And then again, on the 7th of October, the Arabs begin the war again. What is God's plan and purpose in it all? He has protected them. He has enriched them. He has strengthened them as a nation so that they've now become the, the superpower of the, the Middle East. Is the day drawing near when they're going to be converted as a nation? We're seeing more and more Jews converted. Is there going to be a great turning of Israel? Well, we believe it's going to come. Maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe it's not going to be in our lifetime. Maybe there's still quite a wait. We do not know. But surely Romans 11 is telling us that when the fullness of the Gentiles is come in, then all Israel shall be saved. There's a blessed day a coming. And when all Israel is saved, it's going to be life from the dead. For the Gentile world. Paul was grieved in his soul as he looked at his beloved fellow Jews. He was a passionate Jew. Oh, how he loved Israel. And when he was converted, that love for Israel didn't cease. Wherever he went, he went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, into the synagogues to try and reason with them and plead with them to behold Christ the Messiah. And what was Paul's comfort? He tells us here in Romans 11. He found great comfort. He breaks out in a wonderful doxology at the end of this chapter because he's rejoicing in the Lord. He knows that although for many years the Jews will be in darkness and only a remnant saved, the day is coming when the Jews will behold Christ the Messiah and accept him and believe in him and be saved by the grace of God, by the irresistible grace of God. And when that happens, there will be a mighty revival right across the whole world. A day of great blessing will arrive. We are troubled at times by our little congregations seeing the decline in our churches, seeing the growth of humanism, secularism, seeing the unbelief and the wickedness and the immorality and all that's going on in our society today. And it seems things are getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. But we have cause to be optimistic. The future is ours. The future is God's. The future doesn't belong to the atheists. The future belongs to the Christians. The Jews are going to be saved. And the Gentiles are going to be saved in far greater numbers. And God will be glorified right across the world. We think of Psalm 72 and all the wonderful promises 
all the kingdoms of the earth bowing before me, all the mighty kings on earth before him shall fall, and all the nations of the world do service to him shall. That's prophecy. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Read over Psalm 72 and remember that's yet to come. Read it over when you go home and be encouraged knowing that the Church of God it's a wonderful future. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we lift up our hearts to thee, to worship thee, to give thanks to thee. We praise thee, O Lord, for the great promises of Scripture. We praise thee that for our salvation thou didst turn away from the Jews. They were cut out so that we might be grafted in. But we will not boast against the Jews. We thank thee, Lord, that thou dost save us. And we thank thee too that there are these wonderful promises regarding the Jews, promises that they will yet one day be grafted into their own olive tree. We pray that thou wouldst hasten that day, hasten that day when the scales will fall from their eyes and when we will be seeing them, the vast majority of them coming humbly to the feet of Christ's cross acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Saviour and putting their trust in him. And when they will then become, as it were, a great missionary force to bring the gospel to the whole world. Hasten that day, we pray thee, and grant that if it would please thee that we might yet see it before we leave this world. We think of Simeon of old who cried, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Lord, we long to see it. God wonderfully working, gloriously working, saving men and women, and building up the church of Christ, and thy kingdom coming upon the earth, and the kingdom of Satan crushed beneath the feet of Christ. Forgive all our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. I do wish to thank Mr. McLeod for the preaching of God's Word. How important it is that we are optimistic as the people of God. We have a great God who is able to do what he has promised. What a glorious God we have. We live in a day of difficulty, darkness, exactly what we should say before the Lord turns and wonderfully blesses his cause again. When we look to that day when the Lord will unfill, full, unfold his providence and many Jews will come to faith. And what would that then be to the world? How often we sing here and in other places in Psalm 72, let his glory fill the whole earth. Many of us sing that with faith in our hearts, <coughs> believing one day that God will fulfill his word, that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I was in London the other day and I met our previous General Secretary, Mr Paul Rowland, and I asked him how were things in Scotland and he says it hasn't happened yet. I said what hasn't happened? The revival that one day will come and it will. 
These are challenging days, but God is always fun, and he will fulfil his word. I used to be pessimistic until I met William McLeod's brother-in-law, Morris Roberts, and he put me right. And I remember, particularly we sang that evening, Psalm 27. All oh, the ends of the earth shall turn and remember the Lord. And that day is still to come. The future is as bright as the promises of God, many missionaries said. What a wonderful and glorious future for ourselves as individuals, but also as the church as a whole. What a glorious future because of our glorious Saviour, who is the Prince of Peace. Well, let's turn then to our final praise. And here this psalm speaks of a day that is yet to come. And the Lord will have mercy. Psalm 102. And we're going to sing the first version. Verses 13 to 18. Thou shalt arise and mercy have upon thy Zion yet. The time to favour her is come. The time that thou hast said. The time is coming. And look at the state of things. At that time, just before. Verse 14. For in her rubbish and her stones... Thy servant's pleasure take. That's so descriptive, isn't it? Of what we're facing at this time. So shall the heathen people fear the Lord's most holy name. And all the kings on earth shall dread thy glory and thy fame. When Zion by the mighty Lord built up again shall be. In glory then and majesty. To men the prayer appear shall he. The prayer of the destitute he surely will regard. Their prayer will he not despise. By him it shall be heard. And that's so encouraging, isn't it? We pray for blessing. We pray for the Bible. And God's going to answer that prayer. That's what you're going to sing in a moment. The Lord's inspired these words. It's what you're going to sing. May our lips... Also know faith in the heart as we sing as we <coughs> Psalm 102, the first version, verses 13 to 18. The tune is Richmond, thou shalt arise and mercy hand upon thy Zion yet. <coughs>
thee for thy word. O Lord, we look to that day when thou shalt appear in thy glory and majesty. And we will be like them that dream. And we will say the Lord hath done great things for us, wherein we are glad. Hasten the day, Lord. If it please thee, the time soon would be that thou would open many a Jew's eyes and bring them to faith in Christ. And then bring that great glory day when men will behold thy glory and majesty. Speed that day. Lord, thou art a great God. How wonderful the future is as we think of thy promises, Lord. Thou art a covenant-keeping God. Thou wilt not break one of the promises. O Lord, may the young ones here live to see that day when thou wilt do great things for us, not only in our own lives, O Lord, and local (coughs) congregations, but in the world as a whole. And speed that day when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of thee as the waters cover the sea. Oh, we thank thee for thy word. Bless thy servant. Bless every congregation here on the morrow. May they know much of thy presence. Encourage them, O Lord. Strengthen them. Encourage them with the promises. And help us all. We thank thee for the food that has been provided. Bless it to us and our fellowship together. Oh, may we go resting on thee. For thou art the rock. We may shake, but thou art firm. May we rest on thee, and may we go in thy name. May we look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who will see us through and see us home, and then to eternity. Hear us, O Lord, forgive us our sins. For Christ's sake, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.